Okay, all right, well, we'll connect up. Here we're connected. We're going to have some uh, introductory music that everyone should be able to hear on the Opera browser, and we will commence into a Friday show with Mr. Brent Winters. Oh, for a voice like thunder and a tongue to drown the throat of war. When the senses are shaken and the soul is driven to madness, who can stand? When the souls of the oppressed fight in the troubled air that rages, who can stand? When the whirlwind of fury comes from the throne of God and the frowns of his countenance drive the nations together, who can stand? When sin claps his broad wings over the battle and sails rejoicing in a flood of death, when souls are torn to everlasting fire and fiends of hell rejoice upon the slain, that's them. Oh, who can stand? Oh, who hath caused this? Oh, who can answer at the throne of God? The kings and the nobles of the land have done it. Hear it not, heaven, thy ministers have done it. We know who has done it. And the pin will get pinned on the donkey. At some point, good morning, Friday show here, change a month. I hope you can go over your little calendar over there on the wall, rip that August thing out of there, because we're in September. Brothers and sisters, you freedom seekers, you, good morning. Roger Sales, your host, Radio Ranch. It's the Friday edition, September the 1st. I guess it's Labor Day weekend right here in front of us. Uh, So we're going for the long weekend. We'll be working. Won't be any. We'll be laboring on Labor Day weekend. Uh, uh, Both the day off on Monday and tomorrow's show on the Radio Ranch. So we're glad to have you along and uh brent should be if he's not here he'll show up in a minute um because i did get a little im from him so uh we're on several uh, different platforms and the keeper of the platform key is one paul beaner aren't you that would be me him see he fesses right up to it he fesses up real quick (laughs) yeah well you know when (laughs) When they caught you, it's best to just... That's right. Yep. (laughs) Fess up, own up to it, and beg forgiveness. We don't have Francine with us yet either. That's unusual. We're still waiting on uh, both Francine and Brent. That's kind of unusual. It is. Are we having any kind Um, of technical problems that we know about here this morning? (laughs) We're still using Jitsi. What do you think? (laughs) That is, that is the bane of my existence. Honestly, I mean, uh, the interruptions we had with the show yesterday were all Jitsi resets. Right, right. I mean, the room would reset, and then I would be in one room, and then everybody else would be in another room, so none of the show feeds happened right. until I refreshed Jitsi. It was crazy. Yeah, well, let me yeah. tell you what. it was. It's a heck of a lot better. It's a lot better using Jitsi with its hiccups than when I have to use, to use Skype and and you could pay to get calls, and they wouldn't let you get them. So, uh, big improvement, even with uh, a few inconsistencies occasionally. Most of the time, it's pretty stable. Yeah. 
we've got to move everybody to free conference call because that is by far the most stable platform we have and it's the most universally useful and uh, manageable configurable and everything else so, and that's something for the future yeah. we are on eurofolkradio.com that is the flagship station of course and uh, we're also on radio.globalvoiceradio.net. You can find links to those platforms on expose-the-matrix.com. We're also on home network.tv, freedomnation.tv, and uh, Anthony Berry 8625 TikTok, and 1776ER Rumble. Uh, the TikTok and Rumble channels were on those periodically. It's not like an everyday deal. And ExposedMatrix.com, lots of backstory and information, all the history on exactly what happened and what you can do to fix it. And Roger's going to tell us more about that. Well, I think uh, along those lines, Paul, of course, my I've had a little problems with my desktop computer this week. I think I get it back today. Uh, so, consequently, we've had four shows this week that didn't get uploaded. Well, a caller called in yesterday about it, and I figured when I couldn't get them uploaded that people are going to be concerned because I think many people listen to the replays. Um, but it came up, and I had not thought of it, wish I would have, I'd have announced it all week, that Paul does upload those uh, those replays over on globalvoiceradio.net. And so if you're hearing this and you're missing, because we have some pretty good shows this week, I think, and uh, you can catch those until I get back and configured and operable and stuff here in the next day or so, you can go over and check out this week's shows at globalvoiceradio.net, right, Paul? Paul? Radio.globalvoiceradio.net. It's coming forward to my speaker account. And the way Spreaker does archives is you, there's nothing to upload. As soon as you as soon as you go off air, your replay is, is automatically there. Right, right. In the track list. Well, they're a little bit ahead of me. I, I like to do things the old-fashioned way because I'm old. Okay, so give me a break. Uh, well, we haven't seen Brent show up yet, or Francine. I Neither one of them. Uh, neither one of them. Wow. Well, I don't know if Brent's. Neither one of them. He sent me a, a Skype message. I mean, right at about the top of the hour here. So I hope they're not having problems getting in. Did anybody else have any problems getting in today? I'm bringing Skype up. I'll, I'll see if. Uh... The Matrix Docs is down. The Matrix Docs is down? I haven't been able to access it all week. Really? I'm lucky I was able to hop on to... Yeah, I was lucky I was able to hop on here uh, because I just so happened to have it saved in my browser. Um, try ExposeTheMatrix.com and see if it doesn't come up that way. Both are down. Really? Really? Um, well, I just went to it and it's fine. I just went to it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I, it it did maybe, that yesterday to me, but <laughs> yeah, they're, they're playing uh, they're playing games with the internet trunks and uh, and routing. They're um, preparing to shut the internet down altogether. 
So Roger. Playing with routing and DNS. Must be a Michigan thing. No, it it were, it did the same thing to me yesterday. Um, Roger the and the login to Jitsi. They're asking for a password. Email. Yeah, email. Oh, uh, email. Password e- email. So maybe um, they're not. Yeah. They don't want to use an email. You want you want to see if you can you want to see if you can uh, dial up Brent on Skype, um, Paul. Bring him in that way and see if he's having problems. He hasn't sent me a message saying I'm having problems. I just got that good morning thing. I think. Let me go check. Well, isn't it just it's terrible when you have to go through this kind of stuff at the start of the show? Y'all came to hear information and good learning stuff and. Uh, we're a little behind in our work today, or somebody is. Let's see here. Let's see here. Let me just look. Y'all, uh, y'all just mark time for a minute here. This is, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Roger. I, all right. Let me get. Okay. Doesn't have the link to get on. Please send me the link. You want me to just drop him this uh, opera link? Yeah. All right. Let's... No, you know the. Yeah, yeah. Drop him the the, uh, the link that you're connected okay. to an opera. Hey. Okay. I don't see him. Where I'm is it? I'm on Skype. I don't see him on on Skype. Get it to him right now. Wow, we usually don't have these kind of problems. Let's see here. Hang on, kids. You got a disability eye guy working here. So, all right, hold on. Let's see. I think I can get it to him right here. Okay, let's do that and that. And maybe we can get it to Brent that way. VPN Studio. Let's see if we can get it to him that way. Okay. Yikes. Well, hey, welcome September. Um, I guess we can probably expect stuff more more of this frequently as we go forward here. Uh, I know I've heard a couple of comments, and I experienced this myself, uh, that Wells Fargo and evidently Bank of America are having some kind of internal problems on posting either uh, money that's sent to you, posting stuff. Uh, and I, it's... I don't think it's that they don't get it posted. I just think it's they don't get it posted timely. Their Brent showed up, uh, so that's good. Um, and it may be, like somebody said, they're getting ready to shut the Internet down. You can't put anything past these people. And they're desperate, okay? Uh, and every day that goes along, they get a little more desperate because they get a little more boxed in. Um, so, heck of a time to be alive. You know, honestly, if you want to look at this on the PMA, not PMS attitude. Um, there, men have been wanting to be alive right now for thousands of years. Okay, I mean we're obviously at a at a real critical point in the development and history of the world, and I've been thinking that the the next eighteen months, you know, really may decide the history of the world. Really, uh, it's that critical a time. So, uh, Brent. Have you got your mute off? I see you've joined us. Can you hear us and talk and stuff? 
Yeah. Okay, there you are. Oh, you sound good, too. Oh, good. Did you have problems getting on or what? Well, I've got uh, extended problems. Okay. But I've got extended problems with other things (laughs) on my my machine. And uh, it, it just affects everything, but I'm okay. I I just keep uh, clipping along. Uh, by the way, Roger, I did see. Um, I did see that video that Joe suggested. It was about uh, it was an old video from 1962 or 61 or 64. It was an old. Uh, oh, I can't think of the name. He's a Western writer very famous um he writes novels zane gray i believe it was zane gray yeah they had taken back uh, that's been 60 years ago Mm -hmm. yeah yeah 60 years ago and they took uh his some of his uh, stories and put them on film and clips of about of half hour episodes which comes out to 20 some minutes with the commercials i suppose yeah but it reminds me, Zane Gray was uh, not only exceedingly perceptive about um, fundamental reality, but uh, clever about how to communicate it in a story. And it was it was enjoyable to watch. And, of course, his point was that um, the evil man, the useful idiot of evil, or the evil one himself, he wiggles his way into the lives and the communities of men and is exceedingly clever in destroying good order. Yep. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing here. That's all comes back to simply like, uh, Herman Melville, you know, Herman Melville wrote, uh, Moby Dick, Moby Dick. Yeah. And then long after he passed away, it was discovered among his papers, a, a novelette, a short novel, uh, called, Billy Budd, sailor. Yep. Billy Budd, B-U-D-D. And as as, uh, as insightful as Moby Dick is, M- Billy Budd is much more insightful, much more stabbing, and much more getting right to the bottom line of reality of what is going on in the world. You know, Herman Melville's father-in-law, his last name was Shaw. And he was chief justice of the Supreme Court of Massachusetts. And Shaw was a positivist. And, that, of course, that was his his father, uh, Herman Melville's father-in-law. So Sh- Herman Melville was at war with his father-in-law because Melville was just the opposite. He wasn't a positivist. Positive, and he wrote Billy Budd, Sailor, to demonstrate using the story in a graphic way, of course, what positivism is and uh, why it's so dangerous. Well, positivism is nothing but another fancy name for the evil empire. You can go right back to the Garden Eden, of Eden and you can see it all. And Herman Melville made the comment, he was a biblicist, like all great men usually are if they're not bad men. If they're good men, they're biblicists. You can just you can look into their background. History tends to want to obscure that as much as possible. I just found the other day another one on John Locke. You know, John Locke was a biblicist to the nth degree. 
and he was a student of the greatest of Puritan writers, John Owen. Well, John Locke's responsible for much of our expression of our understanding of reality as Americans. And uh, Tom Jefferson said John Locke was the, <laughs> one of the three greatest mortals that ever lived. Of course, Jefferson didn't follow him uh, in all of his his convictions, <clears throat> but he recognized his greatness. He sure lifted a lot of his language and put it in the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, well, that's that's right. And well, but coming back, I'm just making the point about how influential the Bible is and has to be if a man's going to have any influence that's going to help and not hinder. Um, the the Bible, the laws of nature, as Locke put it, and as Blackstone put it, the laws of nature unwritten are common law, and the laws of nature is God, written the Bible. Uh, that's the answer to our problems. There is no other answer. There is no other way. There is no other plea. There is no other argument. There, it none ever will ever be. That's it. Uh, but it's the in, uh, perpetual inclination of mankind to deny it, ignore it, and lean away from it because of the depth of the darkness of the depravity of every person, every person's heart who's even listening today, who I like to believe are people that God has rebirthed and replaced with a good heart, a good heart, a new heart, and including myself. But uh, that's how deep and dank it is. I, as I get older, Roger, every day, I am struck with the reality of this deep, ugly depravity. Oh, yeah. As I look around and deal with other people, I had a meeting recently with a person. Uh, got along good. In the flesh, a nice person. Friendly, intelligent, educated but what that person is doing is so utterly destructive to himself and to others around him and those he associates closely with that I don't want to get too close to it. It's that ugly. Mm-hmm. And that, that is the pervasive ugliness that's overcoming us all and expresses itself, of course, by the time that a person engages in... Um, behavior that is sexually perverse. The Bible tells us clearly, up front, point blank, unambiguously, God has abandoned their brains. That's exactly what it says, Romans chapter 1, four times. And I have a choice. I can get along with people like that, of course, if I need to, for whatever reason. As the Bible says, get along with people as much as you can, as, as you are able but in the final analysis, my eyes are open, and I'm because my eyes have been opened, I recognize with the madness that's overcoming our world, and that's a big expression of it, is this thing about sexual perversion, lesbianism, and, and uh, sodomy. As it overcomes us, we are, as Christian men and women not to become more accepting of it, but to be more abhorred by it. Now, that's not something you can do yourself. I watch people out here. They are more norm, uh, otherwise normal people appear to be nor, uh, more and more accepting of it. Uh, I'm thankful that I am more and more 
abhorred by it. Me too, Brent. And that's one of their tactics, and I guess it's ancient, the way they permeate and social engineer a society when they get in there. Uh, you know, I remember when I, I listened to E. Michael Jones when one pops up and I'm, he, he is an intellectual guy, you know, no question. He's got a, a real command of history. Uh, I'm amazed when I hear him quoting all these different things. And I heard him talking about, and I think it was, and I just don't remember what culture it was, but for a thousand years, I guess, they had a deal with the Jews. It may have been the Byzantines. Okay, and they said, if you will, if you don't come in and corrupt our society, we'll let you live. And that contract held for a while, long while. But this is their tactic. It always has been. They get their foot in the door, and then they just keep pushing and pushing. Presumption, keep pushing and pushing and trying to influence the society with their media controls and everything else and try and sway your mind and screw up your thinking. Uh, it makes me I, – I, I look at some of these wackos in the videos and stuff, and I, I'm just shocked, really. Yeah, I, I, I'm so appalled, I'm so abhorred, and it's so loathsome to me that I try to stay away from it entirely because it, if you pay attention to things like that, and it's all over the Internet and those kind of people, it'll put bugs in your brains, ants in your attic. It'll haunt you. you got to stay away from them as much yeah. as possible, not listen to them. You know, the Bible's clear in the law of, of the Old Testament. And, of course, the New Testament is the outplaying of the culture of the Old Testament in a more graphic and uh, way of deeper understanding. But the Old Testament law says you don't even get near, for example, idols, images, icons. Icons are the two-dimensional images. Idols are the three-dimensional images, the statutes. Icons are the pictures. Uh, the Eastern Church majors on icons, and the Western Church or the Western Western Catholic. No, I say uh, the Romanists, the Babylonian right. Church, right? Made on um, icons and images. And uh, as an example, throughout the the law of God in the Old Testament, John repeats it, Peter repeats it, Paul repeats it to the New Testament. Don't even go within eyeshot of those things if you know they're there. Because around them, under them, the, the, the book of Psalms tells us that under them, using the, prepos- the Hebrew prepositions, under the idols and the icons, over them, behind them, around them, lurk, L-U-R-K, that's a good word, lurk, demons. And there, anyone who would pay attention to an idol or an icon has given an opening, says God, to demons, and they're looking for a chance to jump through the opening. That's why they hang around them, because the people that come to them and pay attention to them and look at them or even admire them. I don't worship them. I just visited the church in Constantinople. I had a guy tell me this once because I admire the beauty of the art. Well, that's the hook. That's what lures you well, in. Of course. Yeah, and then, and then oh, man. I've, <laughs> It gives me the heebie-jeebies, fortunately. And again, that's not something you can work up in yourself. I'm not impressed with the Sistine Chapel in Rome. Thank God I'm not. I don't care. I don't want to go there. I don't want to see it. Oh, but it's so beautiful. Well, that's exactly what God said not to do, and for an important reason. He made me. 
He understands my problems, my proclivities. He knows everything about me, and he gave me an operator's manual. And I like to pay attention to it because it's without flaw. That's the Bible. And the laws of nature play this out on the ground for me, our common law. As I, But the final word, of course, is the law written. It's precise, and our observations can be wrong. And our common law sometimes is wrong. But it is the doctrine of our common law has always been that anything that uh, professes to be our common law, standard of it, that is not um, in harmony with the Bible is not our common law. Go ahead, Roger. Oh, well, you know, I was just going to add, I was thinking uh, here about a, I don't know how many months back it's been, uh, but, you know, Trey, somebody sends me a message, and it was about uh, about this sodomite stuff. And um, the State Department had set up some sort of a thing in Quito about this trans, whole trans movement. Uh, obviously, I didn't go. Uh, I, I did pass it to an Ecuadorian friend of mine whose father or grandfather was in politics here, kind of in, in connected, and he went apoplectic, really. He was going to go to somebody in the Ecuadorian government and say, do you know this is going on? But it's State Department, and it hasn't taken down here. I, I don't see any of that stuff down here. Okay, might see some colored hair every now and then, but nobody's flaunting it, and it hasn't permeated this culture to this point, and hopefully it won't. Uh-huh. You know, we're in a weird condition situation here, Brent. Um, we don't have a government. Yeah. Oh, you got a government. It's just that you don't have the government they want you to have. That well, we're not. No, no, no. We we don't have a government. There's no president, and no legislature. The rest of the government. They want you to have a political government. That's what I'm driving at. But men live without government. We have government no matter what happens. That's all. Well, the the underlying structure still works, and everybody in life just goes along. But the president uh, left here a few months back and is up in Florida or someplace. His name's Lasso. (laughs) And and before he left, here's what the lead-up to it. We had a communist guy, Correo, here for eight or ten years. And realistically, he did a lot for the people. He was more turning things to the folks, you know. And the company prospered. Of course, it was off borrowed money. Uh, But uh, before he left, he passed a law that he could basically fire the legislature. And he he never pulled the trigger on it. He's over in Belgium now. They're trying to extradite him back, charge him with crimes and all that stuff. (laughs) He's over there, no doubt. He skimmed a whole bunch off the top all that money that's flowing through your oil was 150 bucks and a a gallon too and ecuador's a a opec member most people don't know that uh but anyway we went through a couple of successive presidents and this lasso guy before he left he fired the legislature so we don't have a legislature or a president and haven't had haven't had for months I don't, but don't we really believe in America that we'd be better off as long as the legislature in our state wasn't in session? That's when every man's life, liberty, and yeah. property is in the greatest danger. Yeah. And what do they do? I mean, legislation just confuses things worse. I've always said that. And I, I'm in good company when I say it. I mean, men much greater than, more learned than me by far have promoted that idea. I have a friend back at Suffolk University 
a professor at the law school there. He's an older man now. And he, uh, well, I, let me, I could quote him. He said that, but let me quote Papa Joe Cannon. Papa Joe Cannon. Oh, the Cannon office building. Yeah, Speaker of the House of Representatives for the longest time. Very powerful man. He's the man that prosecuted Abe Lincoln's mother for shoplifting. <laughs> That's a true story. Right, right, uh, right on the square in Charleston, Illinois. And Abe's mother, Sarah Bush, was in town at a, at a, uh, well, it was a dry goods store, you know. And they had cloth there, and they had samples, little squares, just like they do today, you know. Mm-hmm. And she was wanting to some uh, buy some cloth, and somehow she got some of those samples. She was looking at them, and for whatever reason, they were in her purse. And uh, she got caught, and he was prosecutor of Coles County, Doug, Douglas County, three counties at once. There weren't many people live there and at that time, and still aren't, frankly. It was just a rural community, but, but uh, yeah, he arrested her. I don't remember the outcome of that case, but Joe Cannon then lent, lent, uh, later on went on to be uh, Speaker of the House of Representatives, and he was the one that old... Uh, I forget who it was. He always had a cigar in his mouth. Cannon did. And and he said, you know, the smoldering, this guy hated Cannon. He said the smoldering end of Cannon's cigar is more in danger of flood than fire. Because he'd slobber so much and he'd run down the cigar and, you know, just kind of. (laughs) What years was he uh, running the show up there, Britt? you have any recollection? Yeah, I think that he, uh, uh, his tenure of office as speaker ended in 1910. Okay. And, uh, he's the one that said Teddy Roosevelt doesn't have any more respect for the constitution of the United States than a Tomcat would have respect for a marriage license. <laughs> he didn't like Roosevelt at all. And they're both Republicans, but, um, Cannon was most famous for saying this. And he said it over and over and over again. Here he is, Speaker of the House of Representatives of the United States, and he's kept saying, and this is word for word, this country don't need no more laws. Legislation. Right. Oh, legislation. Yep. Legislation. He said, in other words, his policy was Congress was there, and they needed they didn't need to do anything, and he was going to stop them from doing anything while they were there. Can you believe that? Now I can believe it. I'm just, and I like it and I believe it's right and true that he had that attitude. There are only two things our constitution, uh, well, our common law or in reality really give a legislature power to do. And they're powerful things, but they're only two. Number one, uh, pass laws about taxes, whatever is supposed to be lawful about that. And number two, take your sons from you and Uh. send them off to war to kill or be killed. That's the two things, declaration of war, in other words. Mm-hmm. That's the two things that uh, Congress really has legitimate power to do if they don't overstep uh, lawful boundaries. Go ahead, Roger. Oh, um, no, I'm, I was just grunting and agreeing with you, I think. I did want to interject one thing. You were talking about John Locke earlier. Uh, in the early days of me doing a lot of studying on this, one of his books is called Two Treaties of Government. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, uh huh. That's the one that that um, um, uh, Jefferson lifts language from. Uh huh. Well, one of the two treaties of government is called government by contract. Uh huh. 
And that's what we're in. Yeah, yeah. He he talks about the tacit contract and an implicit kind of a contract that you don't overtly say. You just, by your actions, you you go along with it. Type yep. Thing, you know. They get your agreement. The, they, don't, they don't get it. They don't inform you of it. They just get your agreement to it. By you going along with it without right. saying anything. Well, that's what well, well, that's what he's saying. Our guys put it into a little more practical application. They ask you to get your agreement. Are you a citizen of the United States or are you a resident? And then you sign mm-hmm. something. And so they've put you into it with fraud on the front end. They take presumption and run it forward, and then they ask you for your agreement. And, well, I guess you ought to know what you are, shouldn't you? Yeah. There was no Social Security uh, during the days of John Locke, I suppose. Oh, of course not. <laughs> oh, I know what <laughs> the other thing I... The same idea. Uh, I get it. Along with Cannon, do you, have you ever heard about the patent office statement? It was back in the 1800s. He said, we, we're not going to take any more patent applications because everything that's been invented has, has been already invented. <laughs> Cannon said that? No, it was the patent office. Oh, the patent office. But they, well, that was the day of mechanical invention. They did invent so many things. You would think. I've been to the Smithsonian and seen all the crazy things they invented. And, yeah, you would think there wasn't any more possibilities. I mean, there was one guy. That's the thing there. He even invented um, an automatic hat tipper. You know, people, men used to tip their hat to the ladies. <laughs> and that, this guy invented a, a device you could put under your hat. By with your hands hanging down to your side, you just kind of move this little lever with your fingers you go down through your sleeve, and your hat would tip up and come back. And of course, the girls liked that; they couldn't figure out how the guy did it. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, now we got something automatic that asks them if they're a boy. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, that's crazy. You know, I forgot to add that when Joe Cannon prosecuted Abraham Lincoln's mother. Abraham Lincoln was president of the United States. Oh, whoa. That's the way I remember. Yeah. In other words, he didn't give a flip about anybody in a position of power. And that's why people, well, those that loved him, loved him. But those that didn't hated his, his guts yeah. with a purple passion. Yeah. yeah. But uh, he wasn't a, a big fella. He wasn't an intimidating fella. He was just scrappy as all get out. You know, when he <laughs> he came west... You know, the first interstate interstate uh, road, interstate highway, was the Cumberland Road, uh, funded with federal money. And it didn't take, it took a long time to get it through uh, legislation because there was question whether or not it was constitutional to do that. And uh, because it crossed several state lines, had to do with the interstate commerce clause, did the mm-hmm. federal government have power to make a, a road like that. Well, now, I'll bet that's what they hung their hat on in the end, that interstate commerce. Oh, yeah. And it, that was back when uh, James Madison was president. Well, Madison uh, signed the bill for the construction of the Cumberland road. And it went from Cumberland, Maryland, which is in the mountains there, kind of or right near them. And then it was supposed to go to St. Louis because that was the end of the world in those days. They didn't know what, well, they knew there was other stuff out there, but they, nobody really knew much what it was. A lot of people had been there, but they didn't weren't connected with the government, didn't make any reports. The government wouldn't listen to them anyway. You know, Jed Smith went west. He was the first man to cross from uh, New Mexico, Taos, New Mexico, to Pueblo, Los Angeles, and the first man to walk the length 
of the west coast of the United States, north and south, and the first, I say the first man, the first American. Mm -hmm. The first American, he was also the first American to walk uh, east and west across Nevada and and, uh, Utah, back to the Great Plains and back to St. Louis. He was probably the greatest uh, pathfinder. Again, I had a very devout Christian man, never touched tobacco, never, never would drink. But he was the one that really, and he wrote a, a he wrote a report. He he felt patriotic about all the things he had done. Of course, he had risked death, and many of the men he was only in the wilderness nine years and made a fortune. But many of the men that were with him uh, died horrible deaths. And he wrote a report to the federal government in Washington D.C. explaining the condition conditions that he had discovered. And the possibility, of course, of wagon travel, which is important to the security or the the military efforts of the United States, if they were to come west and establish forts. He wrote a detailed report, and the federal government of the United States uh, didn't even have the decency to thank him or write him back or say anything to him. And so he said, I'm done with him. I, I'm an American. I'm loyal, but I'm not. I'm not willing to be um, a part of the government of the United States and cooperate with them. I don't care about them anymore. I'm an American. And I think that's the attitude we ought to have now. If you don't care about uh, what's called the government, of course, you got (laughs) whatever you got down there in Ecuador, but uh, it's that way here now. Who really cares about the welfare of Joe Biden? Who says, uh, uh, may the president prosper? Um, not many, and if they are, they're sick in the head. Uh, forget <laughs> it. Thing. No, we're we're, the, we're we're America. That's not America. That's a bunch of perverts with their bony, ugly, greasy, drug-infested fingers on the levers of power. Yeah, and we don't know how long it's going to last. But if we don't give them that confidence, uh, they won't have it, and they'll just keep going down and collapse under their the own weight of their field. That's what we try and, and do around right. here is uh, is accelerate that a little bit. But we have something in that Ecuador doesn't have. What we have here are states and counties, and no matter what happens to that general government in Washington D.C., the sovereign states are here, and they'll they'll keep going. Is my prediction. And if the states get completely hijacked, and I don't think they will, although they're working hard at some of them, the county sheriffs are in place. And they'll rise up, and many of them, most of them, a critical mass of them, I believe, will do their duty no matter what. And their duty is to the people of each individual county. But I'm resting upon the this uh, arrangement we have here that has never been tried before and uh, the way we've tried it here under common law government. No, no, it's never been tried before in the history of humanity. This thing about having separate sovereignties and there are case 50 sovereign states. And we understand that we have a mindset to it. Roger, somebody said to me, uh, they were all panicked about the, the, all this fed coin and all the economics. Oh, I mean, panic people are their hair. Yeah. Roger people's hair is falling out. Yeah. That's how panic people are I, and I, my idea was for what it's worth i said i don't think it's going to happen it's not going to happen they're not going to pull it off 
Well, Roger, that makes me feel good that you're saying that because I know your head is deep into economics. Well, uh, well, let me tell you a little piece of information. I was watching an interview with uh, financial stuff with a uh, Israeli, okay, uh-huh. and they, this came up, and he said, "Ain't going to happen." Uh, and he said, "The reason is, is they they're talking about the coin they want you to use daily for retail stuff, right?" Well, that one is based on another coin it has to piggyback on that's the settlement coin internally. And they got myriads of problems with that from what he's saying. Okay. It's like, you know, it's funny. My mother mentioned, I was talking to my mom the other day, and she goes, uh, well, they're saying they're going to switch all this money to all this digital stuff, and I can't even see how am I going to use it. Well, see, that's the problem they got. Yeah. Yeah, not to mention, um, it seems to me, just um, as I travel around, that increasingly the banks don't have the clout they used to have, and people are refusing to put their money in the banks. Yep. And they're refusing to trust the banks after the 2008 debacle, the massive heist, and then take all that money and send it to their relatives in Europe and then tell the... Americans, you're going to have to re- refurbish and retool and give money to the bank well, for your taxes so we can start again. People, that didn't say, people are, Roger, people are truly not stupid. No. Uh, and a lot of, most people, I've been in my discovery, don't say much. We get on here and we talk a lot. Most people don't say much, but that don't think they don't, their eyes aren't open and they aren't seeing and smelling rats everywhere. They oh, know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they want out of the banks. And if they're out of the banks, they're not going to participate. And they've got to have participation in this, whatever it is they're doing, this yep. Fed coin. And people don't care. And so, Barbara, hey, pardon, somebody said something. I think it's yeah. Abrams trying to inject something. Yeah. What you got? yeah. So, Go so this Fed coin thing is already done. They already have it. I, they, I forget the name of it, but the project they made it under was called Project Hamilton, and they designed it right. in the Boston Fed. Right. It was completed in 2021. Right. And the plan is uh-huh. to have a, a an account that was already created in January 2021 for every citizen uh, of the United States. Already has an account. Every bank had to make one for them. And uh, the plan, as I understand it, is the business-to-business function of banks will still exist. But the uh, money will be generated, you know, so-called, the currency will be generated uh, by the Fed and issued directly to every citizen, as yeah. they say. So if anyone wants to look into this and see, you know, if this is real, see if it's out there. Uh, I, I agree. I don't think it's going to work. People, you know, they uh, they tipped their hand a little too early and people figured it out. But, uh, you know, they're definitely going to try. So, now, there will be people. And, they, they've uh, got to take down this cryptocurrency yeah in order uh, to take the cryptocurrency they have to shut down the internet right you'll have to at some point shut down the internet and close certain on ramps and off ramps and uh that's when i think things will get ugly that's when we'll want to have because they will it's absolutely necessary in order to shut down the cryptocurrencies which will be the competition they'll need to shut a lot of the the dark web portions of the dark web will have to go down if they want to accomplish what they want to do and uh that's why I think having copies of this program distributed so when things do come back up, there's many different places that we can plant these seeds. Yep. So. 
there will be they i think they've already set up a volunteer thing where you can go sign up for it It seems like i saw something about that a month or so ago and there was lines of people to do it okay but those are the those are the first ones into the slaughterhouse you or know? you're talking about the orb will exactly it's unbelievable but there's long lines yeah well they're the same ones that were standing in line to get their jab too so you want not you might not have to worry about them for too long <laughs> oh boy hopefully not right yeah well you know brent goes back to revelation 18 doesn't it come out of her my people come out of her yeah back to the fundamentals and we're down to that now and i see people um when it comes to currency whatever is called current money if they want it to be the fed coin participation is uh inescapable they have to have it they the evil empire the useful idiots and if they don't have it it's not going to work that's I'm reminded right. of there are two things the evil empire has to have in order for it to work and the one will always lead to the other so maybe you could just say one thing uh the one thing they have to have is cities mm-hmm. the evil empire cannot function without cities the law of the city and the city life is the thing that makes it go. You can see that in China today. They're building cities and trying to persuade the rustic country people to come in. Yeah, They did it, uh, of course, in, in Britain. When Rome occupied Britain, they built cities and tried to persuade the Anglo-Saxons to come in. Some did. They tried to lure them in with the bath, which, of course, included the sodomy and also the, the toga. And some of them took on all the the customs of Rome, and even the religion. But most of them didn't. See, like I was saying a while ago, I would rather be living around a hog lot than to be going to the Sistine Chapel. You say, Brent, you can't believe Yes, I really would. I'd rather live around hog lots and cattle lots and smell the manure than I would to be going to the Sistine Chapel. God did not intend that for his people. You know, that's And there's something else about it I want to mention, Roger, coming back to it. You know, the 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 city fathers of Rome, I believe it was in the year 162, 165 BC, something like that. They finally realized they weren't stupid. Again, men, I don't care, Christian or not, they're not stupid. Mentally, they they understand and see what destroys them. Now they don't always have the power if they're not Christian men and women. They have no power to do anything about it, but they they try. And what the city fathers of Rome did back then, 160 some years before Christ, they saw that the public worship of idols and icons was destroying their culture in the city because with public worship of idols and icons were coming an overwhelming public use of opiates and public demonstrations of sex perversion. Right. In other words, sex out into the streets, yeah. like the crazy stuff you're seeing today right. and, and perverted sex. And why those two go together, uh, we can talk more about that later, but idolatry <laughs> always produces that. That's why in the Older Testament, there were not to be any groves, any groves, any trees around where acts of worship were to be done. They were called the groves. And that, of course, goes to the worship of wood and the tree huggers and the, the well, just like the, what's that famous place in California? The Bohemian oh, Grove. Funny. See, all these in, in the Old Testament majors talking about the groves and the high places. Mm-hmm. That's always is what the evil empire, the useful idiots of it, because of their master, who is Satan himself, 
They're enslaved to themselves and to him. They will do his bidding, not understanding who, who they even are, but they will always go to grove. So uh, God in the Old Testament says, chop all that stuff down and do this this way when it comes to worship. So not given the uh, opportunity of the useful idiots to come in and try to pervert whatever religious practices you have. Now, if you're going to a church, for instance, that uses visual aids to worship, and even the Protestant churches, of course, do that. They, a lot of them still do. And I'm not saying they're not Christian folk, but that's what they do. Now, I don't approve of it. Uh, they ignore the second commandment, cut it out of the Ten Commandments, like Rome does, and like other, well, Rome and, and some Protestant groups do, and, and say, well, that's okay. No, that's not okay. That will destroy your personality. It will destroy also your creativity if you have any and you do and it will also give opportunity for the influence of demons demons now how do you know that well the bible as i pointed out says now you got a choice you can believe what the bible says or or believe what you think is sensible or oh there are no well that's kind of a silly thing to do given the evidence of the bible but if you want to do that i can't stop you i'm my job here is to report the evidence. Roger, were you going to say something? I was going to say, or you can believe CNN. <laughs> yeah, get real. I mean, I, I know I know a Baptist preacher. I don't know him. No, I, I like to listen to him because he teaches the Bible down in Tennessee. He's a good old boy preacher, and he gets straight to the point his points. But he denies the existence of demons. Oof. And I, it's shocking to me the, the conclusions. The harebrained, <laughs> given the evidence, and says he believes the Bible. That's harebrained. If hey, you say you believe the Bible, Brent, which you, he does. You want to influence him a little on his opinion? Send him a copy yeah. of the Internal Revenue Code. He'll find Satan yeah, yeah. right in there. Yeah, good point. Good point. And, uh, you know, <laughs> the gospel records are really good evidence. And, I mean, on every page you see the, our Savior confronting demons. And to understand how they operate, they operate in two ways. They either operate from inside of a man, that's called demon possession. They get inside mm-hmm. of his body mm-hmm. and use his body to fill their lust. You yeah. see, they're bodiless. And the other way they can, they had, but they're, they're, they're overcome with lust. How do you fill lust without a body? Well, that's why they inhabit animals. They inhabit men. You can see that the, the, um, the uh, evidence of this and the, even the gospel records. And you can see it in reality, too. You can see it out here in the world. But um, we must be careful. Roger, I was thinking this morning as I was contemplating whether or not I would shave, and I decided not to. By the good, way. good. <laughs> but I was going to. But I was contemplating. You know, shaving's a time of great contemplation. And it's great. It's a time of great concentration. <laughs> and concentration, that's right. And relaxation. Because you got to be careful not to slice your own throat, you know. Well, uh, I was thinking though, uh, and as you know, I, I spent, I've spent over four decades now translating the Bible and it's something that I, I feel like I'll never reach, uh, perfection at, but I'm constantly always trying to get better at it because there's always so much to learn and you can always dive a little deeper, you know, on some point. So one thing that I can testify, and I'm giving a testimony at this point, if there's anything I can testify to about what the Bible says, it is that evidence, the importance of evidence 
oozes out of every word, every phrase, every implication of that book. And it's clear that God wants his man to do everything he does based upon sufficient evidence. Everything, not some things, everything. Even the word trust, pistis in the New Testament, and its cognate, patheo, both of those words should be translated. I always translate them this way. It's the only way you can really get the meaning of the word out. Should be translated, uh, trust in evidence, depending upon the context, what evidence. But if it's not translated that way, the point of the word is missed. It's usually the word is translated faith. That's a weak-sounding word and a weak Latin word. So I I progressed over the years to trust. That's a hard-hitting, consonant-laden Anglo-Saxon word. It hits harder. But then I said, no, I know it's not enough. I've got to get the point of this word. Uh, It is trust in the evidence. Paul the Apostle says, I have heard of your trust in the evidence. He doesn't say, as the King James and the New American Standard and all the others, he doesn't say, I have heard of your faith. Not only is that nondescript, it doesn't say anything, really. Faith in what? Mm -hmm. Faith that every time a drop of rain falls, another flower grows? I mean, who cares? If you don't know what the object of faith is and what the evidence for that trust is, you're on a water hall and you're on a sea of subjectivity, as you see most of Christianity is, that means nothing. And when Paul the Apostle says, I have heard of your trust in the evidence, and it, of course, made him glad what he was saying. And then he says, I delivered unto you the, and it's translated the faith. Well, what it's saying, I have delivered unto you the trust in the evidence. And the word translated often, uh, para, has a preposition on the front of it. Uh, It means the delivery or the offering of evidence. Uh, It's an odd word, but it's used hundreds of times. Well, that means it's something that's very important. And the two things that I see, these two words, offer of evidence, that's what Paul the Apostle does, and trust of the evidence. And every Christian man and every Christian woman is called to the same task. It's one task, that's all you're called to do. And if you do that one task, everything else will fall in place that is supposed to happen. And that one task is this. You are called, that means in the uh, Greek O Roman world, you are subpoenaed under pain of penalty to be witnesses of the evidence. Well, what's a witness of the evidence? What is the jury witness? The jury in a common law trial witnesses the evidence that is presented to it. That's the, the job of the jury, and that's what we're called to do, Roger, to witness the evidence. It's in the book. Do you know the book? How can you witness the evidence if you haven't examined the evidence? You're called to be a juror for yourself and for others. It doesn't mean that you're called to testify, but you will. You will, if you witness the evidence and your eyes are opened and you're made coaxable by overwhelming evidence, and that's what God does to his elect. He makes them coaxable, persuadable, persuadable. When they see the evidence, they're persuaded. And what will they do? They will deliver their verdict. That's what they'll do. What is the verdict? It is the gospel of God. That's how it works. That's the simplicity of it. You know, Roger, you're going to say something. I'm, I got. I'm dying to ask a question. They don't have rules of evidence in common law proceedings, do they? 
Oh yeah. The common law of evidence is a, is a, a large body of law that is the foundation of all of common law litigation. In other words, a, a trial at common law is about the law of evidence, period. There is mm-hmm. nothing else. Mm-hmm. Because that's what, like the whole pers- cause, that's what the whole proceedings are revolving around. Yeah, if, if you don't know the law of evidence, first time I went to trial, I, I called the judge beforehand. I don't remember. No, it wasn't him. I called another judge. And this judge had gone to school with my brother in grade school in the grades, as we say back home. And, uh, I knew who he was and he, I don't know why I, I, I taught, I called him to ask him a question. It wasn't, he wasn't a judge in my case. He was in another County. And I called him to ask him his take on a, on a, a, a rule of evidence. And, uh, he said, Hey Brent, remember this? I said, what? He said, when you go into trial, he said, make sure you got down cold the the hearsay rule of evidence, the mm-hmm. common law hearsay rule. Well, I knew that was important and I'd learned it and I had been drilled in the common law rule of evidence and I had drilled myself for a long time. And uh, when you get into trial, you discover that number one, all evidence is oral. All evidence is oral. Well, what does that mean? That means in the final analysis, somebody's got to get on the stand, be sworn and say something. And if somebody doesn't get on the witness stand that has sensual perception of the fact that's offered to be proved, he's not a witness. Number one, he won't, he'll, he'll get off the stand. They'll get him off the stand, but he's got to be sworn and he has to have sensual perception. He has to heard, seen or touched or felt or smelt <laughs> what he's going to testify to. And, uh, <clears throat> then when he gets on the stand, of course, the question will come up. Well, didn't so-and-so say so-and-so? What did so-and-so say? Or offer a, a piece of paper into evidence, which is oral evidence recorded. That's what that is, words. Mm-hmm. And say, well, where'd that come from? You have to, It has to be substantiated, chain of custody. Uh, there has to be oral evidence. And the second thing that is important is all evidence is oral, and everything in the trial is a question of evidence. And the only reason you're there is to present evidence to the jury. There is no other reason. And then the jury is to be able, they have to, they're supposed to weigh the evidence. They can weigh it any way they want and then deliver their verdict. They're witnesses, jurors. That's why the 12 men that Jesus Christ impaneled calls, called apostles. They were a 12 man jury. Why 12? You know, common law, we still have 12 man juries. Why 12? Well, there's a biblical reason for that. And it comes from the Bible and Jesus Christ impaneled 12. And then for three years, he gave evidence of his identity. As John Locke said, by the, by the use of miracles, suspensions, John Locke said suspensions of the laws of nature, the the normal course of the laws of nature. They witnessed all that. John the Apostle in his affidavit, First John says right at the beginning, he delivers his jurat. He says, what we have seen, what we have heard, what we have touched, and what are beyond touching, our hands handled the very proven claim, the logos. Logos, it's a legal word from the Greek-Roman world. It means proven claim, the proven claim of Jesus Christ. 
And, they, and then he gives his testimony in his gospel record of the identity of this man. And it is clear. You go read the testimony. It's a matter of evidence. That's why I said at first, uh, Roger, we'd said, read First John every day for 30 days in the morning. And then somebody said, I did that. Now what do I do? I said, well, then read the first seven chapters of the Gospel of John every morning for 30 days. And then when you get that done, go to the second seven chapters. And, and there's 21 chapters in John. The, the beauty of John is there are many beauties of John. Number one. John was not educated beyond his intelligence like Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle, like many educated men, was educated beyond his intelligence. And he said so. <laughs> you know, there are a lot of people like that. And we think they're smart. No, no, they ever learning, never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Well, so when Paul the Apostle writes, he gets into details and he says things. And I'm not denying the that God spoke through Paul the Apostle in an inerrant way. But when Paul speaks, he's a logician. He's got the equivalent of two or three doctor's degrees. He's a scholastic, and he is in there for a special reason as a writer of the Bible because God wants to communicate some things through a man that is very educated and has a wide vocabulary. Then he also wants to communicate things through people like John the Apostle and Peter, who had no formal education at all, and the vocabulary was very limited. But when you read John the Apostle, everything is clearly unambiguous, black and white. Same thing with Peter the Apostle. Paul the Apostle? No, no, no. He, he creates, he begs questions. He creates more questions than he answers. He answers a lot of questions, though, that John and Peter don't answer. But then he creates more questions, but he gets deeper in some ways. But you can't get any more black and white than John the Apostle. But Paul the Apostle is to be interpreted where there is uh, some ambiguity in the mind of a man. Paul the Apostle's epistles should be understood in light of John. Because John, with John, as they said of John Wycliffe back in the 13th century, as time went on, Black became blacker and white became whiter. And the gray areas, the gray areas just began to disappear. That's John the Apostle. He had no gray areas in his mind. He's the one that said, and he's, when you read First John, it's black and white from start to finish. Here's, here's my testimony. Here's what I saw. Here's what I heard. This ends it. And here's my verdict. He who has the son hath life. And he who hath not the Son hath hath no life, and the wrath of God hangs over him by a thread. The maw, the open maw, the mouth of hell is right below his feet, and he hangs by a thread, and God's got the scissors posed around the thread. That's what John the Apostle says. Now, you can't make gray out of that, see? It's either up or down, in or out, black or white, heaven or hell, and that's it. Saint or ain't. Either you're one or the other. You can't be part of both. That's John the Apostle. And Paul, when you read Paul, uh, if there's any ambiguity or he says something that begs a question, go to John. John will pick up the piece. That's why we have different testimonies. These are testimonies. We have different testimonies in the Bible. Not all testimonies. No testimony says everything. But if they're true testimonies, they are harmonizable, as the theologians say. They're harmonizable. It can be shown that they're not contradictions. 
they may be different points of view about the same fact, but they're not going to contradict each other. And that's what we see in the Bible. The Bible calls itself law and testimony. Different perspectives. Go ahead. Two perspectives, right? Or three or four, right? That's true. There have been many men that, for example, somebody wants to ask a question. We've got a female. I think that's Sherry. Is that Sherry? Yes. It is. Thank you, Roger and Brent. Um, the correlation between juries and uh, your county sheriffs. You're still counting on people. I'm sorry I didn't hear the last half of what you said. I couldn't make it out. You're still counting on people. Your juries, the correlation between the jury, which is the judgment of 12, and a county sheriff. Yeah, and uh, that's exactly right, and I intended to say it that way, and that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that men, men are evil, fundamentally, and God can change that. But let's be be real. Most people are headed to hell, and they're not reliable. But here's here's the fascinating thing about juries. The number 12 is important. Why? I've searched deeply. I've read treatises written in the ancient past and in our common law tradition and recently why we have a 12-man jury. The only reason anybody can come up with it, with the reason, is because of, of the Bible and the significance of the number 12. God has given jurisdiction to men. He has delegated to us the responsibility of deciding right and wrong using the 12-man jury. I can say this about the 12-man jury because men are fundamentally evil at heart. Jeremiah says the heart of man is exceedingly wicked. Who can know it? Depraved to the hill, black. Paul the Apostle, Romans chapter 1, the heart of man is desperately wicked. The poison of asps is under a man's lips. His belly, his his throat is an open sepulcher. He's full of dead men's bones. Listen, if man weren't that depraved, that black-hearted, he would have no need of a Savior, but he does. God can turn that around. But let me get back to the point. Because of man's depravity, this is the fascination to me. Because of man's depravity, the jury works. Paul the Apostle says, and this is true, and we even say it in our common language, our common lingo, it takes a thief to know a thief. It takes a murderer to know a murderer. That's what juries are. They're men that are depraved. And they recognize and are quick to recognize a man that's done wrong. That's true. And God says that, and God says yes. And our common law says, repeats it, The verdict of the jury is final. Our Constitution of the United States, being a brief of common law government, says the same thing. The verdict is final and not to be questioned um, as long, except according to the rules of common law. In other words, if the jury were not impaneled according to due process, if there was a plant in the jury, if the jury was stacked, well, yes, that's questionable. And our courts in our common law country are very hesitant to the point of being almost completely hesitant to overturn the verdict of a jury, uh, the, the facts that the jury has decided. So, yes, there they are. But God has delegated to men. This is Today, you've heard the, day, the, the phrase, day of the Lord. That's a theme of the Bible, day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is the day of Yehovah, who is Jesus Christ. That's the day of his judgment when he returns. 
But right now, says Paul the Apostle to the Corinthians, we are in the day of man. See, the day of, Lord's, the, day of the Lord is talked about a lot, that great day of judgment. But right now, uh, we're in the day of man. The Bible talks about it, but it's not talked about much. It should be. That means that we, mankind, we have been delegated the responsibility to make those decisions of right and wrong in individual instances from whose decision there is no appeal. I'm going through that now, Roger, in Psalm chapter 82. You see, Psalm 82 is the psalm that says, uh, ye gods, ye men, ye mortals, are gods. Well, that doesn't mean we're gods like God. It's the word Elohim. And what I find, and I, it's amazing what people have said about Psalm 82, and Jesus Christ quotes that to the Pharisees. John chapter 10, he says, doesn't, your, doesn't the scriptures, your scriptures, our scriptures, say, ye, plural, you all are gods, little g? Well, why does it say that? It says that because God has delegated to men the power to decide right from wrong in individual instances from whose decision there is no appeal down here on land. In this realm down here, there is an appeal always to heaven, to the skies, to God. He is the supreme judge, as our Declaration of 76 puts it, the supreme judge of all of the vergeld. That means that that's an old Anglo-Saxon word that means uh, among men. But Right now, the 12-man jury is what he delegates to us. God, uh, John the Apostle, um, John chapter 1, to them gave he, them, the elect of God, gave he authority. Yeah. He's put it right on us directly. We call those individual rights. How do we, in our, in our common law tradition, who is the final decider of right and wrong down here on land? not up in the skies, down here on land that God has delegated to us. It is the 12-man jury. If you go to any other country like Ecuador, Roger was saying that that, uh, they call him a president. He's nothing more than a, a god. He has all power in his hands, and he has power to dismiss the legislature. That power has always been there, Roger, and because that's a law of the city country in South America. Uh, it's always been there, seldom used because it scares people. And as long as they can get what uh, what they want out of a country, the evil empire, they'll not bring it to the forefront. I remember when the leader of the Soviet Union, uh, what was his name? He was kind of a weird guy. <laughs> he, he was there. He had a, Yeltsin. yeah, Yeltsin, Yeltsin. Uh, and uh, pre- the predecessor, predecessor of Putin. Yeah. Uh, the Soviet Union and the communism had fallen and everybody was happy. And then Yeltsin turned around and uh, turned to the legislature there in the Kremlin and said, everybody's out of office. He changed the door shuts. He brought in heavy Soviet tanks and they pointed at the, at that building and said, if you guys try to reconvene this legislature, we're going to blow you to kingdom come. And people were aghast all over the world. I've talked to people from Russia. And they, they were there at that time, grew up there. Their families have been there for a thousand years. And they said, they said, no, that's the way it is. That's the way it's always been. That didn't shock us because to us, listen to this, Roger, this is fundamental to the difference between the law of the land, the civil law, which governs every country in the world, the code of Justinian of the Roman empire, the canon civil laws of the church of Rome and the Eastern Orthodox church. It's all the same. What it is, is this, he should, they, this person said this to me. The authority arises out of power. 
That's what this person said. That's the way everybody in the world understands authority. Mm -hmm. And he said to me further, if you don't exercise authority, we, we don't have any proof, any evidence, or if you don't exercise power, separate the two. If you don't exercise power like Yeltsin did in that case, mm -hmm. well, then we don't believe you have any authority. Right. Now, in America, in our common law tradition, in the few countries that there are, the handful of countries, it is our fundamental belief as Americans that power arises out of authority. Uh, we believe that right makes might. And in the rest of the world, they believe that might makes right. That's jingo. You know what the you know what the word that describes that is, Brent? Go ahead. Jingo. Jingoism. Yeah, you said that before, and that is just a simple way of saying uh, that's the way the evil empire operates. And the people that live there, they believe that, so it's not a problem. The government does what they want. Here in America, we have a different point of view. We say no, 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 no. We have a writ in our common law, writ quo warranto, which mm -hmm. means by what authority are you doing this? Mm -hmm. And you can take it into court and say, why, by what authority is government doing it? If there is no authority, if the Constitution, if the people of the United States, which is the militia, that's the people, they have given authority to government and the general government in Washington, D.C., through the Constitution, to do certain things. If the Constitution of the United States does not clearly state that jurisdiction, then they have no authority to act. But there's For one example, of those sitting in D.C. right now. What? There's one of those writ of quo orientos sitting in D.C. right now. It uh, oh. it was not oh. received or acted on uh, by Merritt Moshi Garfunkel, alias Merritt Garland. Yeah, and of course. So, and well, what Colander did, there's a time frame. If he doesn't act on that within so many days, so he took it to the head of federal prosecutor in D.C., and I guess he hadn't acted on it e either. But And it's around, surrounding all, none, none of the Biden administration have oaths of office. They're valid on file, not one of them. Well, uh, no, and we've discovered that's true throughout throughout the country, especially in the federal courts and the federal commission. Right. And do you know where that comes from, Brent? Was, where uh, it was Cleon Skousen, I believe, uh, that was J. Edgar Hoover's assistant that wrote The Naked Communist back in the 50s. And in the 60s, there was 50 points of of the communist takeover put, and it was entered into the congressional record. Somebody read it in there. And one of them is no oaths of office. Yeah. You know, isn't it funny? Uh, an oath of office, most folk don't take it seriously. Or, uh, the word jury means one who is under oath. Juror means the same thing in the singular. Uh, this oath is no small matter. There's something about an oath that men recognize and feel funny about if they violate it. Even if they do, they feel funny. Uh, it is not something that we can enforce in our courts to mount anything. People talk, oh, he perjured himself. He violated his oath. You can say that, but don't think anything's ever going to happen because of it. It won't. The courts aren't going to ever have any, any, any traction to mount anything uh, going after people for violating their oaths. Uh, that's called perjury um, because it's almost, almost, in a practical, to a practical point, impossible to prove perjury. Because to prove perjury, what you've got to prove is not that you lied under oath. If you say, well, that guy said something under oath that wasn't true, 
well, he, he, his defense is going to be, well, that may be true. I, I did lie and I intended to, but when I took the oath, I didn't intend to lie. So that's not perjury. Right. Perjury is all about the oath. It's not about the lie. It's got to be, well, it sounds like it's about intent. It is. It's about intent at the very point. Hey, you take the oath. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, so how about when you, uh, you write an affidavit and you sign it under penalty perjury, you're basically signing under oath that everything in there is true to the best of your knowledge, right? Right. Uh-huh. Right. Is that okay? What? So if someone is going to court, and that's your escape. Sherry, hold on. Sherry, let, sorry, let him sorry. finish. Then you can talk. Go ahead, Abram. So if someone was to go uh, and testify, so you get this person who, signed, who wrote this affidavit, and they testify uh, in court under oath, and they contradict the statements that they documented in their affidavit, then that would be explicit perjury, right? No, it wouldn't. Well, I say perjury is almost impossible. Well, I mean, perjury. Go ahead. But what they wrote, they perjured when they wrote, when they wrote the affidavit and they signed it under penalty of perjury, they're signing that everything's true and correct. Let's say you could factually prove that, say, something tangible, that someone, uh, let's say, got a promotion at some point and they admit to when they got a promotion on on the stand, but they said they got promoted Oh, no. And you know, months later, no, I get your point, but here's the reason it's not perjury necessarily be hard to prove could be, but it probably isn't when you sign an affidavit, like a tax return, that's a a return. It's a affidavit or anything else like that. Under seal. Any, any information you give to the government in writing will require a signature of penalty under penalties of perjury, state or federal, very dangerous. But if you do that, uh, it could be you believed it was all true and it wasn't. It's, it's a matter of belief and intent at the point of swearing. That's the, that's what perjury is. It has nothing to do directly with whether or not you lied under oath. And to get that. So let's, let's say you get promoted, though, right? Pardon? And you have more responsibilities and you have more people working for you at, at, at a point in time in history. And that just changes as a matter of fact. And I'm then. Sorry. I'm sorry. You write an affidavit. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, oh, Abram, hold on. Wait, hold wait. on, Abram. Getting off into Abram. some real hypothetical stuff here. Brent, what's your comment? Yeah. Well, wait, I'm, I'm from the Wabash Valley and my mind does not go as fast as yours. Apparently. <laughs> so if you would back up oh, I'm sorry. And start again and go a little slower, I'm okay. going to try to call you. Go ahead. Okay. So I, uh, is a, a situation as this is someone was promoted someone uh had a department put under them with all kinds of direct reports and so on so a an event happened that can't be denied after that happened they wrote an affidavit under penalty of perjury claiming that this had not or claiming ignoring the facts that had happened and claiming to the previous position that they had at their place of employment okay and if they write this affidavit, knowing full well that they had been promoted and that this change had already happened, and they claimed otherwise under penalty of perjury, would that be perjury? Where they knew, there's no way they could have not known that they weren't promoted. Well, a, a prosecutor could argue that. 
But any prosecutor will tell you, and I've talked to plenty okay. of them, um, they never try hardly ever to prosecute perjury because it's impossible as a practical matter to prove it. And just as I said before, it comes down to what okay. you believed when you screeved your name on that affidavit. It doesn't come down to what the truth is on the affidavit or whether you were right or wrong. You may have been, okay. been glad that you, uh, well, anyway, go ahead. It just comes down to intent. Mm-hmm. And, see, perjury, listen, maybe this will help. Perjury, I'm quoting the Supreme Court of the United States. Perjury is complete and prosecutable upon the signing or the taking, as we say, of the oath. No testimony required. Okay. It's so complete. A person could stand on the witness stand and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, and intend not to tell the truth while he said that. At that very moment, if that's if he did intend to lie when he took that oath, he's prosecutable. No testimony is required. Sherry, you were trying to add something a second ago. What about, yes, and it was about belief and who can be in a man's mind to decipher that, to prosecute right. it. It's a nebulous That's point. Right. That's what makes yeah. it tough, yeah. So it, but still, well, even well, though it's, it's, even, it's uh, it, there was another female. There was another female that was trying to say something a second ago. You want to uh, get your comment in? Uh, yes, I was just curious if somebody actually uh, got on the stand and perjured themselves after somebody else had actually shown that the, this person did know about an illustration, for example, that was ran prior to a loan and. This contract, but um, how long is there later? This is now due to a a death of my father, and we have all the facts, and we actually have proof that he lied and perjured himself, which affected the case. And well, may may no, I just no. say, fraud? No, wait, no, wait. No, okay, Sherry, hold on. Hold on. Sorry, hey, go hey. ahead. Yeah, let me respond, then you can talk. Uh, first, it's important to get out of one's mind the phrase, he got on the stand and perjured himself. That's legally impossible. You can't perjure yourself after you've taken the oath. You perjure yourself while you're taking the oath. Or before. Yeah. So, And it even though somebody proves later that he was wrong, it's still almost impossible to prosecute him for perjury. Now, you may win the case by offering other other evidence that proves that he, he, he said an untruth, but perjury is quite another matter. I'm trying to isolate perjury. Per, it's impossible to commit perjury on the witness stand. The only place that perjury can be committed is while you're standing down on the floor before you mount the witness stand and you got your hand up and you're taking the oath, that's where perjury is committed. It can't be and isn't committed anyplace else. Good point. At common law. Now, I have I have talked to some prosecutors from some states and say, well, we got legislation that changed all that. Well, that may be true. But just because legislation tried to change it doesn't change it. The Bible's clear on what perjury is, too, by the way. It's called forswearing. So, and that's it's a it's a word in Hebrew in the Old Testament used a lot. The Bible distinguishes between per-
perjury and lying under oath. That's clear. And our common law makes that same distinction. Mm-hmm. And the Supreme Court of the United States has acknowledged that in great detail. Uh, go ahead. Somebody else. That's a to. really interesting hair splitting fine point, isn't it? it? It is. It's once you grasp it, we're so used to the silliness of this whole thing about, oh, he got on the stand and perjured himself. Yeah. And we're used to it because people talk that way. Roger, this shows the importance of words and phrases and what mm-hmm. it does to our mind. Mm-hmm. And because people say lying Absolutely. under oath, yeah, perjuring ourselves, then we begin to think, well, that's what it is. And that's the wisdom, the, the, the conventional wisdom. All of the, all of the lawyers okay. nearly, and all of the judges believe that silliness I've learned. Okay. I've argued. So it's just called lying under oath. Right. In other words, Brent, here's yeah, a, a here's a question for you. All of our, uh, Reform Judiac friends that go in on uh, the Day of Atonement every year and swear the Col Nidre oath that they can lie, cheat, and steal with impunity for the next year, and then they get into it. So that's perjury because they gave that oath and knew they were going to lie ahead of time. That's a good point, Roger. Yeah, oh, of course, swearing. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I wanted so, to yeah. ask you a question about Sheriff Dar. Because you've got a long-running relationship with him. Oh, before you go on to the sheriff, may may I ask, Brent, the difference between perjury and fraud? And doesn't fraud forswear? Well, fraud at common law is... Or doesn't perjury forswear fraud? And for you to lie and bear false witness, isn't that constitute fraud? Um, Fraud is not something no. under oath. Fraud is not something necessarily under oath. Fraud is misrepresentation, and uh, it can be intentional or unintentional. Mm-hmm. You know, fraud can be unintentional. There's no crime committed because you really thought you were you were uh, not defrauding somebody, but they come back in a, a non-criminal action, a civil action, and say, "Well, you defrauded me," and then the evidence comes out that that is what happened even though the person is not criminally liable because they didn't intend to, they were really trying to be honest. So fraud's a whole different animal and a whole different analysis. So Brent, how about this? How about this? Fraud isn't fraud until it's discovered. Well, I would, that's a trite statement. And I see why people say that it's in other words, fraud is not actionable until Until it's discovered. discovered. Right. But it's still fraud before it's discovered. Right. But see, they, they don't think it's fraud. They think it's normal till it's discovered. Well, they think they can get away with it till it's discovered. That's what it is. But it's still fraud. And if we start ta- again, if we start talking that way and say fraud is not fraud till it's discovered, well, that gives them a leg up. That gives the fraudster a leg up. I think we should say fraud. And this is the law, by the way. Fraud is not actionable until it was discovered or could have been discovered with due diligence. Ooh, That's really the ooh I like that last part. Yes, but aren't those the two laws that have no um, uh, statute of limitations, murder and fraud? Right. Well, no fraud. So murder, don't you find those important? Murder does, but the statute of limitations, or murder does not. That's right. Uh, but fraud can have a statute of limitations and under a, a common law doctrine called latches. Mm. Uh, statutes, of, statutes of limitations are 
our um, legislation that tries to approximate, approximate the common law doctrine called latches. Uh, legislation is where the, the legislative branch says, well, we're going to draw a line here and say uh, any, any action on this kind of a case beyond this particular period of time uh, we're not going to allow. Where have you seen that recently, Brent? Uh, I don't know. It's 2020 election with all the lawsuits that went up, they use latches. Yeah. Latches is, but latches is the common law doctrine. Latches does not put a specific time period on anything. But if you can go into court under latches and prove, well, a key witness has died. Or they've waited so long that the witnesses can't remember anymore. One of them's got dementia. You know, that's latches. Whatever you can prove to show that, see, it comes back to evidence. Like I said in the beginning, everything's about evidence in all of life. And it comes back to evidence, and if the evidence isn't available, here's the important point, the practicality of life on this earth. Uh, God didn't want us to do anything without good evidence. And if the evidence is not available and a person uh, cannot be convicted, then they are to be set free. Jesus Christ set this example. When the woman... Uh, the, the Pharisees grabbed her up bodily, caught her in the very act of adultery. What does that mean? That means that she was in the very act, the sex act, with a man that wasn't her husband. They grabbed her up right at that moment, very, very intrusive, of course, and they threw her outside on the ground, and they said to, to Jesus Christ, hey, what do you think we ought to do here? The law of Moses said uh, we're supposed to stone her to death. And remember what happened. Mm-hmm. He, he stooped down and with his finger... This is one of the three times in the Bible where God uses his finger to write. One time was, of course, on Sinai with the, the ten davarims, the first, uh, we call them the commandments. The second time was when the hand came out and wrote on the plaster at Babylon and condemned the emperor of Babylon to beheading, tekla, many, many tekalufarsin in the Aramaic, You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. He was dead by, by morning. And then the third time was this time when Jesus Christ squatted down and wrote in the dirt with his finger. We had, we have no idea what he said because it doesn't say, but it must've really got to the fellows that wanted to stone the woman because, uh, one by one, they walked out and then Jesus Christ turned to the woman and says, where are your accusers? That where is the evidence against you? Who's going to testify against you? And he said, that they're not here. She said, they're not here. He said, well, then go and send no more. Wouldn't In other that... words, you go because there's no evidence against you. Even if you're really, in the eyes of men, guilty, God says you're not. And that's our common law tradition, innocent. Wasn't that wasn't that where he supposedly said, reputedly said, those without sins throw the first stone? Right, he said that, and I, I, I on purpose left that out for this reason. I wanted to stress, which is true, but I wanted to stress the point of the whole incident was that without evidence, without the law of God dictating what evidence is, and evidence according to the law of God, men down here on land, the twelve man jury, for example is obligated not to convict, no matter how sure they think the circumstantial evidence might be, how they fantasize about it. Without evidence, God says, no, you don't have that jurisdiction. God's tough about this, and we're not following it. Yeah, go ahead. 
Go ahead. What if, um, for example, my adult son was set up due to another case that's in the state court. This is how corrupt they are. Where are um, what state? What state? What state? East, we're in Alaska. We have no sheriffs. We have no counties. We have what right. they call boroughs and right. cities. And unfortunately, um, this has been a good old boys club and for decades. And our friend that's helping us from the states has realized this because they wouldn't even take our stuff. You know, that we're putting in three of us as beneficiaries to our father who passed. But um, my son was set up and um, literally he's been in jail. They moved him now down to because they don't have any jurisdiction. They keep trying to do a new representation hearing. He's now down in Wasilla and I'm six hours away in Fairbanks where he was. They're trying every single thing because we know he was set up. He knows he was set up. Um, the girl that's getting paid to, to set him up and um, did what she did knows it um, two days later. It, it's just, it's it's so baffling because the judge, uh, the two of the judges uh, violated all his civil rights. Um, first one by muting him because he was over a, a, a video with a, with the audio and then the second and he goes shut him down shut him down and we witnessed yeah are you there hello what's your name what's your name i think she might do she get cut off i love your uh, people no, oh there okay. she is well, brent and i both anyway, got a little bit um, of familiarity with alaska the next judge the next two judges uh the judge uh, he did a representation the first time, and after he had he had a thing with a public defender that my son never hired. He said he was sui juris, and they they kept they kept ignoring everything he said. I do not consent. Um, but this judge actually, she's coming. Yeah, it's in, well, she's in Fairbanks. No, I think she, I thought she said she went no. to Wasilla. No, they sent him to Wasilla. She said they're in Fairbanks. Oh, Wasilla's. If I remember right, Wasilla's up in, in around the uh, Matanuska Valley, isn't it? It's just north of uh, Anchorage, a little ways, not right. far. Right, right, Matanuska Valley. Are you there? Yes. I have another question. Can you hear me? Yeah, hold on, hold yeah. on, Sherry. Hold on, Sherry. Okay, Let's get... I'm sorry. Um, no, I said my son's in jail. They they moved him to Wasilla. A uh, jail in Wasilla, and they say they can do it any time, even though he's not been convicted. Um, they are just treating him as if he's yeah. guilty when right. he's innocent. So right. it's just—it's been a nightmare. There's a there's a they, they have a the label. Lie and they, they have a label for that. It's called diesel therapy. <laughs> well, what? Yeah, that's true. What's the? Um, uh, so you're down in uh, you're up in Fairbanks right now. Is that right? Boy, well, it makes it hard when we got that delay in there. Well, this is the first I time I believe this is the first time she's been with us that I remember, and I don't oh, know her name. Well, uh, somebody else had a question. Sherry. You had something to say? I do, and it begs the question uh, about the one person because they have dispensed with the jury system when it comes to the district courts, the state courts, um, to where you have to appeal it to get a jury trial. 
and it's one person that sets. That's called the. the um, that's called uh, a. That's called jurisdiction. a. That's called a bench trial. If I'm, I'm not wrong, isn't it, Brent? Yeah, well, sure. If the judge is the only one there, but is this a criminal case or a non-criminal case? Yes. Oh, well, it's a criminal they, case. All right. Hold on, Sherry. We, we got our Alaska person back here. We've got a delay, and you dropped out. So we got a little bit of a obstacle here, and we don't want to not hear what you got to say. Well, actually, they're probably messing with my um, – they've been messing with our, our technology, not only our emails, but also our phones, because we have a, another federal case in regards – Speak of the devil. Get her name. Uh, uh, yikes. Well, it's, 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 I'm so sorry for her and her son. Yeah. Well, there's a travesty. You know, remember the old TV program that had opened up? Yeah. You remember the old TV program in the 50s? Brent would open up and go, there's 8 million tales in the naked city. Yeah, I do. What was that? I don't remember, but I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> also remember Roger. sergeant wasn't it called the naked city yeah i think it was yeah. the naked city She's having trouble roger can, uh, well, can we get her name in an email or something i don't know if we can or not we can't communicate with her i i well, can you hear me now out, but she yes keeps coming back yeah so <laughs> i'm gonna go outside and um into the back here so if you see well, you, chickens well you're lucky it's some like you're that. lucky it's summer you wouldn't be outside in the winter in fairbanks <laughs> well it's raining out it's kind of rainy and crappy right now but it is august so or now it's september so all right well anyway, i think we hear um, you better now yeah can you hear me now yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully it'll get un- uninterrupted go ahead please what's your name <laughs> Just as I said that, <laughs> uh, it makes it a little more difficult with these types of problems. Are you there now? Can we're, you hear me now? You're there now, yeah. Okay. My name's Trish. Um, I'm a third-generation Alaskan. My dad was born here in the territory in 1939. Um a lot of lot of history going on. And right. My grandfather was born here too. Can you hear me? Yes. So, anyways, yeah, this whole situation is uh, they've been tampering with a lot of stuff, including our mail. Oh, now she drifted out again. Oh, Trish, I'm sorry, we're having Roger. these problems. Yes, Martha. If she can give if she can give an email next time she talks that we. You know, there's a way to communicate with her or something, a number. I'm going to tell her to check into the Telegram group. It's the first time Trish has been with us, to my knowledge. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. And then um, I'll give her your data, too. Um, the Radio Ranch. I bet, I bet you land is involved. Land. Yes. And I would say the 49th and 50th state came in under a different venue. Tish. Sorry. Trish. 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 Yeah. Okay, Trish. 
we'd like to hear what you got to say, and it's very difficult when we keep losing. Yeah, it's it's been it's been the whole thing. Anything that, that our phones have been tapped, they've been messed. I don't know. I don't. I don't you know. Also, it's ironic that Hawaii and Alaska are, and it's everywhere for sure. But the emphasis on Hawaii and Alaska. Yeah, they, they were both uh, added as states right around 1957. Eisenhower made them both states with an executive order. Is that right, Dave? Yeah, yes. I just learned that um, just this week. Well, now hold it. How you can't um, over? Can't oh, 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 how can you override the constitutional requirements of the voting of the legislature on statehood with an executive order? Well, I have a question then. Uh, sorry, Dave. Uh, does that mean that they don't have county sheriffs? Is that why they don't have sheriffs? Well, they don't have counties. I believe that's probably... They don't have... She just told us... County. God almighty. They, she just told us they don't have counties. They have boroughs. That's right. That's right. But they're boroughs. Correct. Right? That's New York. Their boroughs are... Uh, New York has boroughs. <sighs> Sorry. Right. Their boroughs are equivalent to Why counties. Why do you think they call them Because they're Can somebody let Brent talk, please? Brent? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad people are engaged. That's that, that lets me know that somebody's listening. I didn't know. So uh, we appreciate all your comments, and you're interested, and uh, that's what makes things move. But, uh, yeah, bur- the boroughs in Alaska, it was 1959. They were admitted, Canada, or... Uh, Canada, yeah. Alaska, and um, and Hawaii, and uh, Alaska was first, then Hawaii, and um, Alaska fought it for years. You know that, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, I, I, I'm recognized that uh, things don't always work uh, the way they're supposed to, but for whatever reason, now they've got senators and all, and uh, not, that's not going to be undone. But um, Alaska has boroughs, and the boroughs have no sheriffs. They call them boroughs. They should be called counties. The one, the county or the borough up in uh, near Fairbanks, she's um, she mentioned Fairbanks North Star. Oh, okay. Now there's a borough up there that's also which takes in a large part of the state called the unorganized borough. And um, I've been up there and involved in litigation in the borough around Wasilla, where you talked about where your son is, and I've been to. The, to the mayor's office there and talked to him. And we had a case there in the, I guess you'd call it a courthouse. But what I discovered is when I got to Alaska, just to get the big picture and maybe the lady that called in would be interested to know my perception since she's about a one, two, about a fourth generation, at least Alaskan. Or it sounded like her family's been up there Long since time. the beginning. Right. Yeah. I went, Alaska wasn't even on anybody's mind till around till the gold rush of right. uh, 1898. So maybe her family's been there that long, but I went up there with another fellow and who was moving there and I helped him move up and then I went back two or three, four times and we got involved in uh, legal stuff there. And, and, uh, what I discovered real quick on our second trip, 
uh, I was, by the time I'd been up there about, uh, the second time it, well, I wasn't there two or three days. I was on, uh, uh, the radio station. That was the biggest talk radio show in the state. And, uh, along with my friend and I was on two or three times and everywhere I went. Then after that, in the circles I was in, people would say, Oh, I heard you on the radio. And pretty soon I found out there that Alaska is one, it's a small place and you get to know everybody who's anybody real quick. Yeah. And I, I have fond memories of being there and how quickly I was right in the thick of everything that was happening. And I knew what was happening and people flocked, flocked to, we drove from, uh, we drove a few thousand miles. We drove all over down in the South and down on the little peninsulas down there. Then we drove up to Fairbanks and we went out to Tuke. Toke. And if I'm Toke. Yeah. Toke. <laughs> and we went out to a little place. I remember we went, we were speaking, we were delivering um, uh, presentations and people would gather well way out there. That's the unorganized borough. We went out there and there was no place to meet in this little village. And the only thing that was there was a saloon. It was pretty ratty. And we, we met there and, uh, there weren't a lot of people there, but we made our presentation and there was a fellow there and he was a legend in Alaska. This guy went up there. He's probably, oh, he probably my age, a little older or somewhere around there. And, uh, he ran over every winter, which is a long time up there. He ran over a thousand miles of trap lines. Yikes. That's all he did. Uh, he yeah. was in the wilderness. Maybe you've heard of this guy. Well, he showed up. It was a time when he was in out of the wilderness and in town. And he had a connection with the engine drives up there where he could sell his pelts and he'd made a fortune, but he, of course you can't do yeah. that, but you're somehow, you, maybe you know who I'm talking about, but I'm just giving you a, a, a rendition. And what I found out about Alaska is not only do you get to know everybody real quick because it's a culture of, uh, you get to, it's a get to know you culture because the people up there have lived rougher lives culturally, not as much now, but, Many of them, you know, most of Alaska is uh, are places, villages, and towns you have to take an airplane to get to. Yep, there are thousands of them. Yep, you know, all we know about is Fairbanks and and Anchorage and a few places down along the yeah. coast, and that's about it. You know, when I was and, there, Brent, there was more pilot's license than driver's license issued. Yeah, and I'll tell you something else, Roger. I yeah. discovered was there because I did a little flying. And this gal can probably back me up on this. I discovered there are more people flying airplanes without license than there are people down in the States uh, driving cars without license. <laughs> yeah. hey, Trish, Trish, I want I, you probably don't know this. I graduated from West Anchorage High School in 1966. I was up there during the earthquake. Oh, uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I was, well, we were in Fairbanks and the people from the earthquake came to Fairbanks during the earthquake. Yep. And then the flood in 1967, um, you know, we all went to Anchorage. Of course, it was just, and then my dad stood on the street and he was deputized because he was an insurance broker back in the day for Fairbanks Insurance. And um, literally the guys were well, there we lose her again. Dadgummit. <laughs> well, uh, well, she needs that laser. She needs, she needs that laser beam internet connection. She needs that laser beam connection you had when you were up there, Brent. Yeah. 
Well, can you hear me now? Yes. Well, I have a question. How is her dad deputized without? Well, well she's uh, she's back, sure, and yeah. I want to hear what she's got to say. Are so, you there? Trish, when you're with us, we want to hear you. Yeah, we're here. Yeah. So, um, no, back in during the flood in 1967, he stood on the street um, in the files that didn't get, you know, damaged, washed away, or whatever in the flood. He sat sat there they dried out the files that they could and they he was able to pay out all the insurance claims back wow. then of those wow. people affected by the flood because like i said they were people were stuck other places right you know and couldn't get back into town so right. much um, to much to, much to the chagrin time. much to the chagrin of the underwritings at the insurance company i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> Well, well he, was, he was an independent broker for many uh, years. And another thing, too, that's here's a fun fact is that uh, I don't know if you guys recall this. In the 70s, there was an airplane crash with Alaska Airlines into Juneau. There's a big mountain and it's right. a deep decline. Right. And um, my dad had just taken over somebody's, um, you know, as as a, a actually. A- uh. This Paul, is tor- what's going on, Paul? This is torture. She's, Do you know who that was? She's dropping off at the it source. the senator. Yeah, you're talking about... Um, plane crash. Yes, uh, his son's around. Um, Nick, ba- son Nick Baggage? Nick Baggage? Nick Baggage? Baggage? Baggage. Baggage, yes. Uh, no, yeah, I was talking about the Alaska Airlines commercial flight that crashed. And my dad had to fly all the way to Lloyd's of London to get them to backdate the policy so those people would be saved. I mean, so those families would be um, compensated because there wasn't enough coverage from the other broker. And um, if he wouldn't have done that, Alaska Airlines wouldn't be here today. And now they're, excuse my words, commie airlines because they're one world order and all this other garbage. Sure. But um, yeah. So you find it odd that it's Lloyd's of London, the insurance. Yeah, they were the uh, they were the re they they were the what's called the reinsurance company in that scenario, I believe. They're the insurance companies that they insure the insurance companies reinsurers. I'm sorry to interrupt, Trish. Trish. No, no, no worries. Um, My dad also helped start. Um, the North Slope Borough up in Barrow, Alaska. Oh, wow. Yeah. He was the only white guy up there that, because he was a big deal back in those days. He did a lot of stuff for a lot of people over the years. And of course, he started in his oil and gas industry back when the Lacey Street Theater downtown was open and purchased with eight of his buddies what they call leases over the counter. And unfortunately, because we weren't a state yet, the federal government came in and oh, they want that oil, baby. What? No, the money. Who are the banksters? Hey, but I just have one question for you, Trish. Um, he was deputized by the insurance. Roger, wait a minute. <laughs> well, I, I know we're I, we're losing it, Brent. I'm sorry. What I what I want people to do on this show and. I, I'm glad people are participating, but I want all questions directed to Roger and I. There's no other way to keep order. If people start talking back and forth, as, as 
convenient as that may be for you, it doesn't help the other people that are right. listening. So if you have a question, direct it to us. And if we want to ask Trish, then we'll ask her. But please do it that way. Yep. Um, Fair enough. I appreciate that. Well, go ahead. Sure. I'm, I'm kind of getting back got, to the uh, uh, here. Hey. Can I get back to my I've son? I've got something. Hold it, Paul. Paul, Paul, Trish. Completely. Hold on and listen to Paul. He's the technical guy. What do you have for Trish, Paul? Trish, I sent you a private message with my email address. I need you to send me your contact information because I will work with you and we will figure out a way to get you into the show. And Jitsi just reset. Well, okay. Damn it. Well, we don't have too much time to do that today, unfortunately. But No, no we don't, but... Jitsi is Jitsi is unstable and her connection is being interfered with. I need to get this information to her so she could reach out and we can connect her in a way that cannot be broken okay. before Jitsi drops her all together. So Trish, are you there? Are you back now? Yeah, I'm back. That's it, it's just this has been happening due to these cases. So uh I'm not yeah, you well, guys are obviously. We have the technology. We'll get you in here in a way that they can't interfere with. Uh, yeah. Get my private message or send an email to ppnradioranch at gmail.com. PPN, no. Yeah, ppnradioranch at gmail.com. ppnconnections at gmail.com. PGBeaner at gmail.com. Just blast to all of them, and I will get you in here. All right. Thanks, and, Roger. And we may have to put it off till next Friday because Brent's only with us on Fridays, and you want to talk legal stuff, I want him to hear it. So we may have to work on that till next week, Trish, because we're just about out of time, unfortunately. In quick response. Okay, yeah. The biggest thing is I was trying to get my son out of jail, and they keep um, trying to do these new representation hearings. And the fact that they moved him to five and a half hours away, so we can't help him. Okay, and, please, um, please yeah. go to please go to commonlawyer dot com and email me your telephone number. Go. To I actually com- did email you just yesterday. You did even. Trish, I have a question. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, Sherry. Sherry. Does he no. not have a bond? Damn. Wait, wait, wait. No. Don't. Direct comments and questions to Roger and I. Don't don't cross talk to, to other people on the show. It makes confusion. Um, and the question you did yeah, ask. The question you did ask. I respect ask, that, Brad. The question, first son has bond. Mighty. The question. The question you did ask was a good one, and the question was, how could they deputize her father without a judge? And the answer is, he's a member of the militia as a male. As a male, he's a member of the militia, and the sheriff can deputize anybody they want into the posse, which is the county or the borough. In that case, the borough uh, division. That where men, the sheriff, not a sheriff, but a, in that case, not a sheriff, but they have other laws in, in Alaska that allows law enforcement to do that. But I want to hear what Trish says next week. If she comes back, maybe she can enlighten us more about how it works in Alaska. But what we want to do right now, we've got two minutes left and I want to. Yeah. I want to oh, go ahead, Roger. No, you know, I, I, I want Brent to give his comment. Sherry. Please, please, Brent, 
give your information. All right, and uh, just go to commonlawyer.com, www.commonlawyer.com, and you can access uh, more information there, and you can listen to us on Sunday. Come to church with us on Sunday. We're going through the book of, uh, of, uh, of Exodus on Sunday and Romans on Saturday. You can find all the links there. You can find the Common Lawyer's translation of the Bible and from the original tongues, and you can find excellence of the common law, comparative law text, and you can uh, enjoy yourself there. It's for fun. CommonLawyer.com. And I appreciate uh, all the participation we had today, even though there was some confusion. We're glad you're interested, and we want to hear from you. Roger, yep. back to you. Well, we're just about to end. Trish, is this your first time with us? Trish, can we, are we connected? Well, we've never talked to Trish before, to my knowledge, and I'm always interested in anything Alaska. So, uh, anyway, hopefully we can get the communication with her straightened out, and I'd love to see if we could help her in some way and get to know her a little bit, too, and maybe get her off in the direction that we talk about regularly around here. We'll be back tomorrow, of course, on the Saturday edition, and uh, same time, same place, and it's a little different on saturdays it seems like to me now doing it for a year and uh, i do enjoy those saturday programs and they seem to be a little more informal than we even normally are so uh, we'll see you over there tomorrow and trish if you can get back in and get that straightened out we can hear some of your stuff tomorrow and uh, otherwise we'll see you tomorrow or monday and yeah. uh, happy september ciao